In today's podcast, we talk to Mr. Lewis O'Brien, who, as a property and commercial lawyer for over 25 years, has seen it all with the best and worst of commercial property investments. Lewis reveals his top secrets on why some investors get lucky and the difference between an average and a great property investment that can be found using five secret ingredients of successful property investors. Hey there, gurus. This is Tony Buffer, your host of the Commercial Property Insiders Podcast. This is the podcast that takes you to the inner sanctum of commercial property millionaires, investors, and industry experts. This is where Australia's top insiders reveal their secrets about making positive cash flow passive income through commercial property. This is a non-BS, unscripted, unrehearsed podcast designed to give you ideas and inspiration to become the next commercial property millionaire guru, just like many of my guests. And be sure to stay tuned right to the end, gurus, where I ask each expert insider to give you, the listener, a secret 30-second tip. This is something I love to ask all of my guests as a special bonus for you. Three, two, one... Commercial properties are a go. G'day gurus, my special guest today is Mr. Lewis O'Brien. Lewis, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you here and it's great to have someone with so much experience as you because as a newbie and as other people listening are newbies to commercial property, it's really good to... to um, have this uh, meeting with you. So, uh, as owner and principal of Lewis O'Brien and Associates, was this, Kevin, give us some background. Was this something that you wanted to do? Was this something that, you know, you dreamt of as a child or what, what led you to become one? You know, become a, 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 uh, I guess, a property lawyer. You know, is that, what, is that how you describe yourself? Well, property lawyer, yes. Um, I've got to say, I can't say that I sort of grew up wanting to be a property lawyer, but. Um, you know, so I ended up in the law as a bit of a roundabout um, sort of story. But once I got there and I tried sort of different types of law, I very quickly found that property was something I enjoyed. Um, you know, by way of contrast, things like criminal law and um, family law, I think, are emotionally a lot more um, challenging and um, all-consuming, really. And it sort of wasn't something I was comfortable with. Um, from that side, from the other side of the coin... Um, the nice thing about acting for property investors is they have goals, um, they're trying to achieve something, and that's not just money, they're trying to create a better life, they're trying to create opportunities, they're trying to retire early, do all those sorts of good things, and it's nice to be part of, of that sort of journey with people. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, you, when you mention family and criminal law, oh, I, I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest. So uh, at least it's a positive it's a positive uh, environment that you're in. With well, positives, yeah, I, I think a key word, yes. Yeah, which is great, which is great. And so, it's, you know, it's a sort of an odd space for a lawyer to be in because, unfortunately, um, too many people, their contact with their lawyer is when something goes wrong. Um, yeah. You know, for what it's worth, you know, we're trying to sort of rebuild that a little bit because, um, and, and, and this sort of discussion is part of that because, you know, over the last, I don't know, 25 years of working in the profession, there's a lot that I've learned about commercial property. Um, and, and I guess as a client, you can seek to access that one of two ways. One is proactively, um, which is what I try to encourage. And I, and I very much call it preventative law, the idea that if you get the advice before you need it, you can do things the right way and avoid the problems. 
or you can do things the traditional way, which is do whatever feels right to you, um, and then when it blows up in your face, you go get some legal advice. Yeah, and that's so common. I just um, I haven't used it for property law, but certainly whenever I've used a lawyer, it's often uh, when things have uh, turned uh, turned bad and you need a lawyer to help you. So I think the idea of being proactive is is quite great advice, actually. Really. Yeah, advice. and so, for what it's worth, I mean, yeah. you know, I sort of did my time in the big firms in town and. And that old model, I don't think it works particularly well for lawyers either, because inevitably the client would come to me, they, they had a problem that was in a lot of cases avoidable if they'd had the right advice up front. And then we end up in this dynamic where the client's paying a lot of money to fix a problem they didn't have, need to have, so they're not happy. And from my point of view, a client that's not happy doing work that really is not a lot of fun cleaning up a mess. Absolutely. So I think so- from both perspectives, it works better if we can try and create a new model um, in terms of how people use lawyers, trying to get that advice proactively, trying to get the right advice in the right hands, you know, and try and help clients make better investment decisions. Makes sense to me, but can I understand at what point should I be cont- uh, contacting you? For example, I'm about to look at a property, I'm about to sign. Should I be talking to you before signing or after I've signed the contract or when's the best time? Look, the answer's before. I mean, once you've signed the contract, there is a fairly significant limit on what I can actually do for you. Um, if you get, if I can get at the contract before you sign it, there's a world of things we can do. Um, yeah, we actually review. I mean, it, it's interesting. I've got some clients who've, in one case, has literally bought more than a hundred properties. Wow. He doesn't buy a property until I've seen the contract. Not in Victoria, anyway. Um, mm. And it's interesting that someone who's got that much experience with property won't actually sign the contract until someone's looked at it. But on the other hand, you get your first-time investor who just signs things they haven't read and haven't understood fully, hoping that it's all going to work out for the best. And, you know, one of my key themes in terms of when I talk about commercial property investment is there is a lot of knowledge to be had. um, And you can either ascribe, you know, you sit there and you look at people who've done well out of commercial property and you can either decide that they've been really lucky Mm. or... And I think the more mature point of view is they have knowledge or access to knowledge that you as a first-time investor don't have. Um, And, you know, from my perspective and my insight, having worked with some very successful property investors is they actually have knowledge. They see things that your average investor doesn't, isn't aware of, doesn't know to look for, you know, and in the context of um, commercial property, there's sort of a number of issues that we sort of encourage clients to look at. Um, and I know from the feedback we get from those clients, it, it's not actually something they would have thought to look at at all. So they're mm. sort of things that come out of left field and they think, wow, you know, gee, I'm glad I thought, I'm glad I now know to look at that. But as a first time investor, they're not things you would look at. It's, it, you don't know what you don't know. I guess that's a common thing. Well, that's the killer. Mm, exactly. Yeah, that you know, ignorance is, is not great. So I can relate to that. Uh, so d- just talk us through the process. At what point should we actually see you? I mean, still while we're hunting, or once we've actually you know found a product, uh, a property that we want to sign for, or what? At what stage does it matter to you? Where? What stage we actually come and see you? Oh, uh, look, I, I think you know. I mean, I I think it's useful to have some input as early on as possible. I mean, increasingly, we're seeing people use structures. So they're putting family trusts and other structures involved with a a mind to sort of asset protection and trying to get some the best tax structures for themselves. Um, You know, that's a point at which, 
you know, I think a good lawyer has something to add. You know, I've always seen that creating those structures as being an exercise that falls somewhere between your accountant and they have, you know, a very accounting-based tax philosophy, Um, maybe a financial planner, maybe a broker, because if I create the world's greatest structure and you can't get a loan, I've just wasted everyone's time. Um, And then a lawyer as well. And I think each of those professionals has a bit of an input into your structure um, and, and trying to make sure you have the best structure for your need. Um, And and I guess a key message from me is that structures are not one size fits all. Um, They very much need to be tailored to suit your particular circumstances, your needs, and what you're trying to achieve. Um, It's a bit of a mistake, I think, just to, well, Bob down the road has this, so I'm going to have the same. Well, I don't really subscribe to that theory. Interesting, interesting, yeah, because normally with structures, and I did, I don't know if you know Shukri Babara, but um, I interviewed um, Shukri, and, and I, I would have thought it was the common domain of accountants to do it. So how do you get involved with, with the structures? Do you actually look at it, or do you actually advise on that? Depends on, it, it very much depends on the client. Um, yep. Often clients come to me, they have, you know, they've, they've got some thinking from their accountant, and that's great, Um in other cases, they come to me first, in which case my typical approach is to say, well, let's understand what you're trying to achieve. Um, and then I'll give you basically a dot point summary of what I'm thinking. And then let's run that past your accountant and your finance broker and see what they want to add, see what they can add. Yep. Um, because as I said, they approach the sort of question of structure from a very different perspective to what I do. And if you can combine the benefit of all those different perspectives, I think that that's how a client gets the best result. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, you've already given us <laughs> quite a few reasons why we should go through a, a commercial property lawyer, but um, can you sort of summarise, you know, just one real, real standout reason why I should come and see you before I sign on that contract? Look, in a sentence, um, as, as you've said, you, you don't. when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And fixing problems after you've signed contracts, after you've had settlement, is incredibly expensive with um, with commercial property, both in terms of, well, from a stamp duty perspective, from a lending perspective, and, you know, just, just fixing it after the event is expensive and time-consuming. Um, so it is an area where you need to get it right up front, and that's hard if you're coming in cold. Yep. Absolutely. No, I totally get that. I, um, I, I sort of get that um, people might be frightened of lawyers. They think, oh, the fees and so on. But how would you answer Look, that? And, 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 you know, I, I certainly understand where people are coming from. Um, my profession, unfortunately, doesn't have the greatest reputation. People do have that fear. But, you know, as I said, I, it, part of that is, is based in history in the sense that people only went to see a lawyer when something had gone wrong. It then got yeah. very expensive. Um, and then we have this sort of lose-lose relationship that emerges out of that and it feeds the sort of fears you're talking about. Yep. You know, personally, and in terms of the firm I run, we're trying to create something more proactive. People come to us. Hopefully, we can add value. Um, you know, I certainly think we can. Um, hopefully, we can agree, you know, quote fees up front. And a lot of the time, that's possible. So, there's no nasty surprises. And I'm certainly very conscious that for most of my clients, they're paying my fees out of their back pocket, not out of a corporate expense account. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's about trying to create this more proactive model where we add value, um, we're not just an expense, where there's visibility on fees, and hopefully we can have a much more positive relationship. 
Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Now that sounds really, really, really good. So I want to delve deeper into uh, more about uh, your experiences because you do have over 25 years experience. But uh, before mm-hmm. we do, uh, and we're going to have a 30-second break from our sponsors and we'll be right back after this break. Leverage high yields and cash flow through commercial property investing with Helen Tarrant. If you're new to commercial property investing, are a cash-strapped residential investor, or you're building your property investment portfolio and you're looking for an edge in today's markets, you'll want to learn from Australia's original and leading specialist in commercial property investing, Helen Tarrant. Go to commercialpropertyschool.com forward slash insiders and get started with your education and commercial investing journey today. commercialpropertyschool.com forward slash insiders. All right, welcome back to Commercial Property Insiders, and we're here with Lewis O'Brien, commercial property lawyer with over 25 years' experience. You must be, are you one of the longest-serving commercial property lawyers in the country? I mean, that's a long time. It is a long time. One of my clients pointed out to me I would have got less for murder, which I don't quite (laughs) understand the reference, but I think they were trying to highlight that it was a long time to be practising which is great. Fantastic. So you've had so much experience and I'm sure, like you mentioned, that you mentioned someone who's got over 100 properties, the mind boggles at over 100 properties. But um, if you'd like to share with our listeners uh, some of the experiences you've had without obviously giving away too much, but some of the things that would be very helpful for them to understand and to know. I know you mentioned in a previous conversation or five things, five different things that um, experienced commercial properties did that newbies wouldn't know about? Yeah, okay. So there's um, a a number of things that when an experienced property investor looks at, and at at this point we're talking about just the retail or the the lease in a... um, So let me put it this way. So you're looking at buying a commercial property with a tenant in there. There's a number of things that I know that experienced um, commercial property investors will look at that your average first-time investor doesn't look at. So let, let's explore some of those. Um, so the first one is um, the question of what the rent is. Um, and from my point of view, um, there are a number of sort of different, I guess, definitions of rent that we should be thinking about. It's very easy to accept that the rent in the lease is it and the basic calculations on that and off you go. Unfortunately, I had an experience with one client who did exactly that and then found out that the uh, the property had been rented at $100,000 above market. And not only that, the uh, tenant's um, solvency was questionable. And after six months after buying it, basically the tenant walked out. Tenant was a man of straw, so there was nothing left. Unfortunately, the client copped a very significant capital loss because all the client's calculations had been based on a market rent that was well over market. Oh, God. So, you know, the, the first issue is let's understand what market rent is. Let's look at um, what the rent in the lease is. And let's also look at, um, you know, the scope for where we might be able to add some value, you know, depending on the sort of tenancy we're looking at, you know, can we sort of create some storage space, some signage rights, sidewalk seating for a cafe perhaps, and try and increase the rent. Right. So there's different definitions of rent that I think people need to be looking at when they sort of buy the property rather than just saying, well, the, the, the rent in the lease is $100,000 a year, that's the end of the discussion. Well, no, that's only the beginning. Um, and there's a whole series of issues around rent that I think people need to think about fairly carefully. 
Mm. Um, you know, as part they of the do that, they just need to understand the market really, and they would know for yeah. that property this is what you should expect for rent. Is that, that's what you're saying, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Then, if we want to move to another issue, um, you know, it, it's fascinating when you start to think about. So, you're buying an existing property with an existing tenant, and I've had clients who've owned properties for ten years, and I ask them, "Well, who owns the fit out?" And no one knows. And, you know, in some cases it might, you know, if it's an industrial property, it might just be, um, you know, some old shelving and stuff which has minimal value. But right. if you're dealing with a restaurant or a cafe or something of that nature, I mean, the fit-out can be worth a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so it's important to understand who owns it. And if you're buying the property, it is part of what you're buying the fit-out. So if this, oh. this tenant leaves, you've got a fit-out to offer the next tenant. Right. Um, yeah. Have we put provisions in the lease that say that if the tenant leaves, we've got first right to basically buy their fit-out? Because if my existing cafe tenant leaves, I mean, that fit-out's probably not worth a lot of money to them, but if I can offer sort of a partially fitted-out cafe to the next tenant, maybe that saves the new, the incoming tenant a lot, of money, a lot of money and therefore it gives me some opportunity to charge a better rent or get a tenant in faster. So, you know, these are issues a lot of people don't think about. And as I said, no. I've had clients <laughs> own properties for 10 years and don't know the answer to this question. That's really interesting. <laughs> I just assumed that you buy it with everything in there, but, yeah, obviously not. Well, I mean, some part of what's there is owned by the tenant. And the question yeah. is, I mean, you know, if they've got, you know, if they've got their work in, you know, their stock sitting in the on the shelf there, well, that's probably the tenant's, but the shelves might be bolted to the floor and, and it becomes less obvious who owns what, but that, that question can actually make the difference. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay. a, another issue, and this is perhaps more, well, certainly a Victorian one, I suspect other states as well, but not quite as sure with the other states, but the question is, is this a retail lease or a non-retail lease? Now, that might seem like quite a simple question, Right. Um, but unfortunately, it's not because the law in Victoria has changed significantly over the last few years. Um, and the other thing is that if you get it wrong, um, it may be that your tenant has rights to leave or claim refunds on land tax across multiple years. Um, so it can have fairly significant consequences if you get that question wrong. And I appreciate that whether it's a retail lease or not sounds like a fairly dry sort of legal question but you know we're seeing cases where the difference can be worth you know tens of thousands of dollars in some cases a lot more so again something to get right and make sure you've got your compliance sorted out so having a retail lease is it more expensive than a non-retail lease or how do, how do you like well if, if it's a retail lease then it's subject in victoria to the retail um the retail lease act uh, or retail leases act which means that the tenant has to be provided with disclosure statements um, as a landlord, you can't pass on your land tax bill. There are limits what you can do with um, in terms of trying to seek reimbursement for capital improvement costs and air conditioning and stuff like that. Right. Um, and as I said, the, the actual dollar figure attached to some of those things can become quite significant if you get it wrong. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. That's <laughs> amazing. All right. Things well, I've never even thought of, of course. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's exactly my point. And I mean, yeah. the, the next issue that I'm going to float is the idea of bonds and guarantees. I mean, obviously, when a tenant goes in, normally they provide some sort of bond. Yep. Um, and sometimes that's paid in cash. Sometimes that's sort of some sort of bank guarantee or equivalent. But it's interesting um, when you start asking questions about these things, 
Um, you know, in some cases, the question is as simple as who actually has this bit of paper? And sometimes the answer is we don't know or it's been lost. Well, so you've just lost your, the, the security that your tenant provided. Well, that's not great. Sometimes they've expired. Sometimes the actual bond was provided to a former landlord and it's been assigned and no one ever got around to sort of cleaning the bond up and getting it transferred across. Wow. Sometimes it reflects the rent that was payable five years ago. So, you know, it might be that someone says, well, I get this, ten the tenant paid $10,000 bond under the lease, but for a range of reasons, that may be entirely illusory. Mm. And if you're buying the property, you want to make sure that's cleaned up before, you know, you put, your, you put your money on the table to buy the property. Otherwise, you might find something goes wrong and you've got no security at all. Okay. <laughs> Another one. Oh, my God. Is there any, are there any more big ones? That... Oh, look, I'll, I'll leave you with one more. Okay. Um, and the standard um, lease in Victoria provides basically that the tenant is to refinish all finished services um, at least once every five years. Right. Yep. Now, a lot of people aren't aware of these sorts of provisions in the lease, and, and, and there is some variability in the leases, so you've got to pay some attention to this. But it may be, if you're buying a property where the tenant's been there for a number of years, that the tenant actually has an obligation basically to repaint and re-carpet the property, um, which can obviously add significant value to it, um, Yeah, if you've got the right sort of lease clauses and the right sort of situation. Now, I'm not suggesting you immediately go in there and on day one require the tenant do this because that might just burn a lot of bridges and not be realistic. But if you go into a negotiation knowing that you've got these rights, it's certainly a potential of upside in, in the value of what you're buying compared to a another property where you don't have that sort of refurbishment provision. Wow. Yeah, that's that's absolutely vital, of course. And you know, I can imagine you probably have had some cases where there's been a... A disagreement over who pays what. Um, how has that sort of turned out? Does it favour the Does it favour the tenant usually, or or not? I'm just thinking from a residential point of view that a lot favours the tenant. Is it similar oh, to commercial property? Well, residential leases is a whole other world. Um, let's sure. not go there right now. No, but no. you know, certainly <laughs> I've had cases where tenants have found when they've you know one tenant I'm thinking of was in a commercial property for a, a long time, and when they gave notice they wanted to move on, the tenant said, "Well, that's great." Um, I now want the paint, the property repainted and recarpeted before you leave. Right. True. And the, te the tenant in that case basically had to pony up and pay for it. I mean, they weren't very happy and didn't think it was fair, but that's what the lease said. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. So, you know, again, I'm, you know, I'm always reminded of that scene in the movie The Castle. I don't know whether you remember that. Sure. Where they, uh, what's his name, Dennis Denudo talked about the vibe of the thing. Um, unfortunately, no one's much interested in the vibe of the thing. I mean, it's a bit of a fantasy. We're interested in technical correctness and what yep. the documents say. Yep. The vibe, um, eh? Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and my broader point here is that, um, you know, I've sort of introduced some ideas here that I think, you know, if a sophisticated commercial property buyer, they're looking at this stuff. It's part of their due diligence. They know they're looking for it. They yeah. know that creates upside for them. Um, but your average sort of first-time investor doesn't even know where to look. No, absolutely not. seeing not. that stuff. Well, none of those things have <laughs> come to my mind. So, you know, great that you've mentioned those now, Lewis. So thank you for that. So that, do you actually give this sort of advice or, or you, you know, just well, make them aware or how do, you, how do you get involved in that sort of thing? Look, we try to encourage people both in terms of commercial property and also in residential property to give us the contract. We offer a contract review service up yep. front. 
yep. where in a commercial context for $750, we're going to review the contract and we're going to break that down to a sort of four or five page report, which points out a bunch of things that, that we know, well, that we think clients should be aware of and we know most of them aren't. If there are problems or issues, um, we'll identify those in yep. terms of, you know, let's, let's try and clarify who does own the fit out because it's not clear. Um, but also um, special conditions that can help. You know, sometimes depending on what you're buying, for example, if you're buying an empty commercial property, the right to show tenants through that property from the day you sign the contract might be worth thousands of dollars to you if you've got a tenant who can start on the day you settle. So there's things like yeah. that we can do that really add value. And as I said, I mean, the old model with lawyers is lawyers are an expense. Let's try and minimise the expense. Let's not talk to them because we don't want to pay for that. I think the new model is let's engage with our lawyers. Let's get the value of, in my case, 25 years worth of experience. Mm. I've been helping people who've stuffed things up for 25 years, basically. I had a fair idea what can go wrong and how not to do that. Um, and, you know, as, as I said, my view is that, you know, we can add more value than we charge. No doubt. No doubt. Or just the incredible uh, golden nugget you've dropped with us already, which is fantastic. And did you say it was $750 for, for that report? Yeah, so basically send us, and that's, yeah. I mean, we operate in the state of Victoria. Um, yeah. So, that's you know, great. send us the contract before you sign it. We'll go through it. We'll go through it. We'll give you this written report, follow-up phone call to make sure that you understand you've both the report and the advice we've given you, and also an opportunity to ask answer any other questions that a client may have generally about the process, because what we want to do is, is help clients to buy the right property and, and to get the best possible advice they can along the way. Absolutely. It sounds like a definitely a, a very worthwhile investment. So thank you for that, Lewis. That, great stuff. Um, so we are running out of time. Time is against us, but uh, I always like to leave our listeners um, with a, uh, a secret tip, a 30-second secret tip, because uh, I'm sure there's stuff out there that you know, well, apart from what you've already told us, which is already blown my mind. It's going to take me a while to absorb, but um, I'm sure there's uh, something out there that um, a lot of uh, buyers or investors may not know that you've um, picked up from your 25 years experience. Look, I don't think it's a secret tip so much as, you know, certainly over my 25 years, the law has got more complicated, the contracts have got longer and more complicated. And, you know, I, I think it's genuinely above you know, beyond sort of where most people are at to digest these 100-page documents effectively. Mm. Um, you know, I'm reading, you know, 10, 20 contracts a, re a week. Most clients might see 10 in a year if they're lucky, um, and there's a lot to know. I mean, there's a lot that we haven't talked about today. There's a bunch of other issues that catch people out. Um, and, you know, as I said, I'm reading 10 or 20 of these contracts a week. I've got a much better idea what's going on um, and then what's normal and what you can achieve. Um, and as I said, I, I think in a lot of cases, that's an opportunity to add value as much as it is to avoid mistakes. Absolutely. My goodness. 10 to 20 contracts a week. That is incredible. <laughs> I don't know how you do that over 25 years. Um, what, what's the mass? It's a lot, right? <laughs> it's, that's uh, a lot of contracts, yes. That's a lot of contracts. I won't even bother. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Lewis, that's great. That's great advice. And really, thank you so much for that. Um, the information you provided is is absolutely outstanding. And um, so many people are going to be, you know, uh, staggered by the, the information that they don't know, like me, um, that we need to understand. And, and you've given me all the more reasons to come and see someone like you to, to find out more. Now, for people that do want to uh, get in contact with you, um, what's the best way to do that? 
Look, you know, we've, our phone number is 0039886388. we got a website, www.lewisobrien.com.au. That's L-E-W-I-S-O-B-R-I-E-N.com.au. Or send us an email. Um, the yep. email addresses are on the website. Beautiful. That's great. Wonderful, Lewis. Well, look, again, thank you so much. Thank you for um, your time. I know you're a very busy man, so... I um, really appreciate you uh, coming in and giving those great words of advice. And I'm sure when someone books an appointment with you, um, there's going to be so much more that you can share with them as well. And, oh, it uh, certainly you, is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can imagine. So definitely worthwhile. So thank you so much for that. Um, thanks for being part of the podcast. And thank you to our listeners for listening in and really appreciate your time. And um, Stay tuned for the next exciting episode of Commercial Property Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, gurus. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay ahead on all the latest news on commercial property. And if you are serious about investing in commercial property and really want to be a success, I strongly encourage you to learn from the best and head over to commercialpropertyschool.com forward slash insiders and get specialist education on commercial property investing. That's right, folks, commercialpropertyschool.com forward slash insiders and go for the best course in Australia on commercial property. Until next time, gurus, Tony Boffer signing off for the Commercial Property Insiders Podcast. All of the opinions offered are done in good faith. In the event of any person sharing their story or information, this does not constitute financial advice. The opinions contained may be short-term in nature and are subject to change. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments involve substantial monetary risk, including the risk of losing one's entire investment. None of the information contained here constitutes or is intended to constitute a recommendation that any particular security investment or strategy is suitable for any specific person. None of the information contained here is nor is intended to be personalised investment advice. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own personal investment advisor based on your specific circumstances. Real estate investing is a dynamic vehicle. Cash flow and equity positions can change on a daily basis. People on this podcast may be affiliated with certain products and services.